novel. Please note that this episode contains racist language that some may find disturbing. Check out our show notes for more details. It's a Wednesday night in New York City, February 25th, 1998. The entire music industry is in Midtown Manhattan. Tonight, live from Radio City Music Hall at Rockefeller Center in New York, it's music's biggest night, the 40th Annual Grammy Awards. In the 90s, pop music was dominated by working class and black artists, but the Grammys represented the establishment. Somewhere in the audience sits ODB, of the legendary rap crew, Wu-Tang Clan. The group of nine MCs was nominated for best rap album of the year. I felt like a winner already just being one of the nominees. That's ODB's brother from the clan, the chef Raekwon. Everybody was dressed up in their own little way to receive something that meant so much to us coming up in the game that for me, it wasn't about the trophy. To me, we won already. In 98, Raekwon and the rest of the Wu-Tang were at the top of the game. Their second album, Wu-Tang Forever, had dropped the year before and landed at number one on the Billboard 200. In their single, Triumph, Dirty opens the track with a monologue, touting the group's strength and unity. Soulful beats, playful lyrics. The vibe is celebratory. They made it. But y'all thought y'all wasn't gonna see me? I'm the Osiris of this shit. The album was like a street documentary and the Wu were its storytellers. Although the music came in a raw and gritty package, it reached people who didn't know anything about the world that the clan came from. The nominees for Best Rap Album that year included major talents in the game. Missy Elliott, Biggie Smalls, Wyclef John, Puff Daddy and the clan. Although rap had become a dominant force in the industry, the winner was announced earlier that night before the televised ceremony for the major awards. To very little surprise, Wu-Tang lost to Puffy. See, Puff and Bad Boy were at the height of their powers. It was the shiny suit era of ballers and million-dollar videos. Puff was the face of all that. His music was aspirational and carefree. Puff's debut solo album, No Way Out, was a blockbuster with a row of smash hits. On songs like It's All About the Benjamins, he was delivering slick rhymes about the chase for riches and fame. Puffy was a mogul, but Wu-Tang was for the streets. They were rapping about the real lives of the people in the projects. So when Wu-Tang lost to Puff that night, it was like the Grammys were ignoring the message that they were delivering. At the awards ceremony, Raekwon and other brothers in the clan took the loss in stride. It's dirty. You know, he had his braids freshly done. He had just bought a suit. Never seen him dressed up before like that in my life. As Erica Badu and Wyclef John walked on stage, Erica's got her classic tall head wrap on and bright pink with the beautiful matching dress. The nominees for Song of the Year. They're about to present the award for Song of the Year to the folk pop singer Sean Colvin for her song, Sonny Came Home. And the Grammy goes to... 
Sean Colvin and John Liventhal, songwriters for Sean dances up to the stage, having a good time. But at that moment, ODB joins the group by himself. When he bumped us to stage, none of us really knew that he was going to do that. He gives Erica a kiss on the cheek and reaches for the mic in a blur. Please calm down. The music and everything, everything. I said, um, I went and bought me an outfit today that costed a lot of money today. You know what I mean? Because I figured that Wu-Tang was going to win. I don't know how y'all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. You know what I mean? Old Dirty Bastard style combined the raw showmanship and a wild sense of humor. ODB was a rap icon, an entirely new kind of rapper. And his stunts, like this one on the stage at the Grammys in 98, blew people's minds. When he did it, it just fucked everybody up. But the world had to respect it because he's the old dirty bastard. Like, there's no father to his style. Dirty felt like the Wu deserved the best rap album award for the important message of their art. And that's what Dirty was talking about when he took the mic from Sean Coleman. Wu-Tang is for the children. We teach the children. You know what I mean? Puffy is good, but Wu-Tang is the best, okay? I want y'all to know that this is ODB and I love you all. Peace. I'm confused now. <laughs> that was the ODB that the world saw. The ODB he showed up as in public. The stage crashing secret weapon of the Wu-Tang who left a lot of people confused, especially after his death. My name is Khalik Allah. I'm a photographer and filmmaker from New York. I'm here to dispel some of the confusion around Old Dirty Bastard and shine a light on the brother's complexity. He went by many names. Russell Jones, Asan Unique, Old Dirty Bastard, Osiris, Dirt McGirt. But I want to show you who ODB was to us, the people that needed him the most. That moment at the Grammys was one of the defining moments of ODB's career, but he was a lot deeper than that. We're going to take a look at how this black man was seen in America and who he truly was. Wu-Tang is for the children. You know what I mean? From USG Audio, Novel, and Talk House, this is ODB, A Son Unique. Episode 1, For the Children. When I see the Brooklyn of the 90s described, it's single moms, welfare, crack, broken windows, and poverty. But Brooklyn was so much more. This was the borough that gave us Basquiat, Jay-Z, Biggie, and Dirty. It gave us pioneering DJs like Larry LaVon. Spike Lee grew up there. How can a place be so rich but only be talked about for being poor? It was a community something that ODB took seriously. I want to tell you the side of the Grammy story that you might not have heard. It starts with a lady named Maxine. I'm Maxine McAdoo Lavelle. I was born in Bed-Stuy. I have four girls, and I've been married for over 30 years. Just the day before Dirty walked on stage at the Grammys, it was over in Brooklyn, a place my people know as Medina. 
there was always something going down in Medina. That day in 98, Maxine was driving her daughters, Maati and Kelly, to Maati's dance class. I had a van at the time. Maati had the car seat towards the window because it was only a one-sided open door. She was four. She was attending dance class at the restoration on Fulton Street. And that morning, she didn't want to go. She just didn't want to go. And I made her go. She calmed down. She did the dance class. She got in the car. She got in her car seat. We were coming home, and I asked her older sister, Kelly, to get me some collard greens. And I was training her how to shop. So I said, I need you to go get collard greens from the open-air market down there. And Kelly said, oh, OK, OK. That's when Maxine noticed that Maati had gotten out of her car seat to join her sister. She got out of her car seat and closed the door. And I said, where are you going? She, she was so little, and she was very quick. I did not see her. I did not. She was holding her sister's hand. When her sister moved forward, she got hit. Maati had gotten away from her sister as a Ford Mustang was coming down Fulton Street. In a blink, the car ran over Maati, pinning her underneath it. I got out the car, and everybody in the street said she's under the car. They kept saying, under the car. And I said, under the car? Under the car? I was like, <laughs> you know, because I didn't know what damage had been done. She could have been all broken up under there. I didn't know. I got on my knees, and all I saw were her eyes. And I screamed. And when I screamed, she screamed. And yo, out of nowhere comes ODB. ODB came from out of nowhere and said, we're going to get it. Don't worry about it. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. Now remember, at this time in 98, Wu-Tang was the biggest rap group in the world. ODB was a superstar. But none of that mattered at that moment. All that mattered was that Maati was trapped underneath this Mustang, and somehow she was still alive. I was ordering some food for us by the Chinese restaurant. Around the corner, ODB's best friend and trusted collaborator, Buddha Monk, was picking up food to bring back to their recording session at a nearby studio. From inside the restaurant, Buddha heard a commotion growing outside. All I know is I heard his voice, and I was like, Yo, I'm going to go out there. I hear dirty yelling. I don't even know how she got there, but I see this girl's feet under this car. A crowd was forming around the car, but no one knew what to do until ODB stepped up. Nobody else really stepped up, and he stepped up out of the crowd. He's like, yo, come on, come on. What y'all all standing there with your mouths open for? Little girl could be dying. Let's go. Let's get this car off her. And he told the rest of the Wu-Tang gang to help. He's like, I need everybody on the count of three to push this car off this girl and we get under it. So everybody start pushing. And they lifted the car. And as we seen the car coming up, he just snatched the girl real quick from under there. I believe the off-duty officer was the one that slid her from under the car. She was injured. But Maati survived. They said it was third-degree burns. 
Her coat was pink and it was burned, had a big burn stain on the arm and she had it on her leg, on back of her leg. Today, Maati is a hairdresser with her own salon, but she hasn't forgotten the intensity of that moment. I remember the heat of the car. Like, I remember being under the car and it being hot. I also remember the tightness from the stretcher. Like, I remember being on a stretcher and like, damn, this is tight. I was four years old, so I'm sure I had a different thought process, but I remember it being tight and that could have went totally left, me being so young. Like, I could have been crushed. I could have died. And I'm just so grateful that he was there. After it was done, he said, Buddha, I ain't gonna lie, I felt like I had the strength of 10 men. I said, that was nothing but Allah doing that, man. It wasn't that girl's time. Over at the Kings County Hospital in the days after the accident, Maxine and the Lavelle family had an unexpected visitor. These gentlemen came and said they wanted to seek Maati. And I kept looking like, who, who is that? You know, like, why do they want to see her? I don't... And Kelly said, that's... ODB. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay, who's ODB? <laughs> I don't know. Who is that? She said, you know, the Wu-Tang gang, the Wu-Tang gang. I mean, they, they, rappers, rappers, rappers. So I said, okay, so why does he want to see? But I wasn't picturing the face of the man who did it. He came up to me and he said, I helped lift the car. And I said, oh, that was you. And I hugged him. I said, thank you. And my husband, you know, he went and gave him dap. He said, can I see her? You know, she could be okay. And I said, yeah. I think they did let him go in the back, and he did go to see her and talk to her. Mati was too young to remember every detail of that visit, but she remembers ODB as far more than the untamed screwball he was painted as in the media. He was a vessel for other people that don't have the platform to be able to express themselves. I'm just so grateful. Uh, my mom made me write a letter to him. I remember writing it. I remember telling him he was my hero. And what's crazy, too, is that his sister worked in my school, Miss Monique. I remember giving her the letter, like, can you give this to your brother? Every day was a day for Dirty to give back to the community and not, like, be noticed as old Dirty Bastard doing it. Listen, before he got on, he would give the community. He never was a taker. He was always a giver. Number one, giving our way of life to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Teaching the truth to the youth, being there for the babies, ice cream, you know what I'm saying? Helping people in the community. An old lady was moving too slow across the street. Where you going, lady? Come on, carry the bag. We about 30 minutes already late to what we got to do, but he don't care. We're going to make sure this lady get home with her groceries and everything first before we even think about going to do anything else. ODB was truly for the children. His words that night at the Grammys were real and meant something. He was sharing his purpose, that his music offered something to young black children from his community. But after crashing that stage and saving Maati's life, Dirty was entering into the media frenzy that made him out to be a villain. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath 
or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. The day after he rushed the Grammy stage back in 98, ODB sat down as a guest on The Howard Stern Show. Back in the 90s, Howard Stern was arguably the biggest name in radio. Some people loved him, but a lot of people hated him too. He was provocative, and his interviews were known for shock value. When ODB sat down with Stern, he was one of the most famous rappers in the game, but Stern treated him the way most of the media treated him, like a joke. When you watch the interview now, it could be hard not to cringe at the way that Howard Stern is talking to him. They're tossing around foul claims about his parents, and that's just mad disrespectful. Oh, you had your mom's with you? Yeah, definitely. She probably raised you in the ghetto, right? Mm-hmm. And your pops wasn't oh, around. Yes, yes. Well, yes. my, my, my pops was around, you know. Dirty plays it cool and corrects him. But Stern keeps going with the bullshit. Yeah, but he was doing his thing, right? Oh, of course. Right, exactly. Wait a minute, I don't think he knows what you mean. It, was your father a, a, a supportive man? Yes, definitely. Oh, he did. Family. Oh, I, didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what I meant. What I meant. What I meant. What I meant. I'm shocked that ODB sticks with the interview, but he does. At another point, Stern invites a caller to join the conversation, and that guy just piles on with more hate towards Dirty. Yeah. What are you doing all these stupid movies on this show? Oh, you see, man, you're a racist. <laughs> I'm not a racist. you got to be kidding me. These people come in here, make this money from albums. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They lose it all. That's where the, that's where the term nigger rich comes in. This was a regular kind of thing on the Howard Stern Show. Stern made a space for listeners to call in and say wild comments to celebrity guests. In the studio, ODB, Stern, co-host Robin, and comedian Jackie Martlin are all laughing at the racist filth coming out of this guy's mouth. But Howard and his crew are egging it on, too. This is how the media presented ODB. His appearances were always loaded and usually reduced him to a clown. Another black rapper from the ghetto who made it rich. Here's how they talked about him on MTV. He nearly blew himself up on stage at the 1998 Video Music Awards and got busted in the parking lot the same night. But that was hardly the most outrageous example of OD behavior we ever saw. I got burnt by gonorrhea before. And then I got burnt two times. It's true Dirty was a wild brother, but the media made a habit of couching racist ideas in their coverage of him. I feel like a lot of the white media then and now perpetuates the stereotype of buffoonery in black culture and or negativity, whether it's violence, pitting people against each other without thinking about the ramifications of such. Or maybe they are thinking the ramifications and it's purposeful. I don't know because I don't think that way. This is Dante Ross, a legendary A&R, music executive, and the guy who signed Dirty to his first solo record deal. I think people can reference that in the Grammy thing as like, God, he was such a clown. But he was actually pretty self-aware and underneath all of it, brilliant. And, and a fantastic artist. Sometimes I think it gets lost in the sauce and these things lend to that. 
I feel sorry for people who only see ODB through Howard Stern and MTV's lens as a stereotype of an absent black father, as a joke. ODB was not this clown they were selling. He knew who he was. He also knew what sells, whether he was crashing stages or bringing MTV to collect a welfare check in the limo. Dirty drew the kind of attention that kept his name in the headlines and that sold more albums. One time his biographer, journalist and author Jamie Lowe, watched him turn it on like a switch. It was before he was going on stage, he was super hyped up, really amped. And I was asking him a couple of questions and he like grabbed my, at that point it was like a tape recorder because it was so long ago. And he was like rapping into the recording device and was like doing his own thing. He was like, I'm ODB, this is what I do. Like, I don't need to answer more important questions. Da, 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 da. After this monologue, which was like sort of quote unquote classic ODB, he like stopped turned off the recording device. He gave it back to me and he was like, is that okay? Did you get what you need? And like was sort of quiet about it and was like very aware that he had just performed for me and for the interview and for the entirety of the project of ODB. It was kind of amazing to see and also sad because he clearly felt like he had to do that to answer the questions I was asking him, which I think were maybe dumb questions, probably. I don't know. Dirty was the type of person that he would come in and light up a small room and make you feel like you were in Vegas after that. He was good on pretending to do things to see how you would respond to him. So a lot of times I would tell people he does stuff because... He likes to entertain people. He wants to be that show of God. ODB knew how to play to an audience. During his appearance on The Howard Stern Show, Stern and his co-host had tried to reduce him to some sort of court jester. But even they couldn't deny he was a hero. You saved a little girl's life the other day, didn't you? Yes. This was not one of your own children, though, right? Um, I love all the children. Beautiful, man. I applaud you for that. This interview was designed to make a joke out of old Dirty Bastard. But Dirty knew how to stay true to himself for his people who were tuning in. How to be real, even in a room full of sharks. But throughout the 90s, as his career rose, the strain of that authenticity would take a toll on the time he had with us. On November 13th, 2004, at 4.35 p.m., ODB collapsed at his cousin and collaborator Riz's studio. Rapper Old Dirty Bastard, or ODB, died yesterday after complaining of chest pains. But this rapper had a history of pain, a troubled life of drugs in jail. An autopsy found a mixture of cocaine and the prescription opioid Tremadol in his system. His death shook the world of hip hop. The member of Wu-Tang Clan died Saturday after collapsing at his Manhattan recording studio where he was working on a comeback album. ODB, whose real name is Russell Jones, was released from prison last year after serving a two-year sentence for parole violations and drug charges. Over the years, ODB had numerous stays in rehab and a series of run-ins with the law. Dirty's life 
checkered with unlikely achievements and so many inspiring moments, is distilled down to mentions of jail, parole violations, and drugs. The mainstream media were drawn to those stereotypes like morphs to a flame. When he died, the media treated him like it was just another dead rapper. But for some of us, ODB's presence was so powerful, so divine. A spirit like that can never die. The last time I saw Asan in person, he was in Harlem, or Mecca, as we refer to it. Dirty was going through a lot of shit in his life at that time. And there were brothers calling out, ODB, yo, Asan, yo, trying to build with him, shake his hand or whatever. But I just sat back with a couple of other young gods and watched. I still remember his energy and presence that day and how regal it was. For some of us, it was like he never really left us. Well, he ain't departed. Dirty sitting right here with you. Dirty asking me these questions right now, not you. You know what I'm saying? That's how I see him, because I see him through you. So when That's me in conversation with Freedom Allah, also known as Papa Wu, my mentor, and Dirty's too. Because he's right here with you and me. But right now, when I'm sitting next to my brother like you and sitting next to y'all, I see him. Wu-Tang was really for the children, and ODB epitomized that. It wasn't just words. It came from the lessons of the 5% nation, a conscious movement influenced by the nation of Islam that grew out of the black freedom struggle in Harlem in the 60s. Papa Wu was one of my first mentors in the 5% nation. He taught dirty, too. Children Day, that's what we was about. We about the babies. Fuck them grown-ass motherfuckers. But you can't teach an old dog new trick. So that's what the 5% nation is all about, the babies. Here's Papa Wu speaking on something that might remind you of someone. When you give a child a chance to express themselves, that's the greatest thing in my life that I could ever see, a smile on a kid's face when he's happy. That just breaks me down, man. I don't know what that do to me to see a kid with a smile on their face. Papa Wu was actually the first voice you hear on the album Wu-Tang Forever. I'm calling my black woman a bitch. I'm calling my people's all kinds of things that they're not. Papa Wu had a message of self-empowerment and accountability. He was telling the listener that they can be better. Wu-Tang was always speaking to the real experience of black people. And Papa Wu was a guiding force for the Klan. He was also the older cousin of ODB. But he was more of a father figure to us. Papa Wu says it was Method Man who gave him that name. How you got that name, Papa Wu? Where that came from, man? Uh, one day Meth got out there. I don't know what he felt in his heart at that time. And he was on the stage and he said, um, I ain't got no father. Some of y'all might got fights. The only father I got is Papa Wu. Like, who are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? And, that, and he was talking about me all the time because I was the papa to them. You know what I'm saying? And then he just added the Wu on to it. I was the father of them through the, through, through the teachings of Islam. You know, so I was like their father. I got to know Papa Wu through our connection within the 5% Nation. We spent a lot of time together, and he was the one who introduced me to the rest of the clan. Yo! During that time, Jizza and I became close. He took me on tour with them in 2008, and I recorded this footage of Papa Wu on stage. This is New York City, motherfucker! Right. The fuck y'all playing with? Y'all crazy? We gonna show the world what we do! Don't you know New York City is the center of the universe? Yeah. 
It was wild for me to go on tour with Jizza and even to get to know the clan because as a kid in New York, I was very much inspired by Wu-Tang. When you hear Cash Rules Everything Around Me, it's like hearing New York itself, the way we all saw it. Like I said, I'm a filmmaker. In 2019, after Papa Wu passed away, I released a documentary with the footage I'd shot, and I called it Papa Wu, a 5% story. It had been many years since ODB had passed away, but the more I got to know Papa Wu, the more I understood ODB. I met the student through his teacher. If you listen to ODB speak, you can hear him channel Papa Wu's spirit. All the children in the universe is mine everywhere. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, hey, the kids love dirty. Every time they see dirty, they smile. And that's automatically make dirty smile. Hey, yo, Papa Wu. Yeah, peace, man. What's good, baby? Yo, what's going on, big bro? What's good? Ain't that, man. Where you at? Back in 2019, right before Papa Wu passed away, I sensed something was up, and I called him. I just wanted to touch base with the brother, you know? Yo, God, I wanted to tell you, man, ODB been visiting me, God. You too? ODB been walking with me, G. You too? Yeah. Welcome to the club. He been walking with me. <laughs> I, I just couldn't tell nobody because they would have thought I was nuts. <laughs> they would have said, I'm bugging out, God. Where is Vaughn? I see him all the time. Things he do around the house, like he had knocked something over. <laughs> I turn around like, where the fuck is this nigga at? <laughs> but I know he's dead somewhere. You know I can't see him. He's playing, you know, that's how they come. That's that nigga, man. He wanted to let me know his presence, that he was dead, right? But Dirty Dude, he have a way of putting this out in other people's bodies to let you know that he's his presence. He's in me right now calling you. Yeah. He's, God, listen, yeah. God, he, he's in me right now speaking to you. He wanted to tell you that he loved you, God, and he wanted to tell you happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> this conversation was the last time I spoke to Papa Wu. He passed away December 2019. I believe Dirty was visiting us for a reason. He still visits me. I feel a connection to Dirty because in some ways we've walked a similar path with the same people. After ODB died, I started to feel this even more, like we were kindred spirits, connected somehow. As I started to make my own mark on the world with my own films and photography, I thought about how difficult it was for ODB to navigate his own fame as a black man in America. To me, this man held multitudes. You couldn't put ODB in a box. But back in 98, that's exactly what the white media were trying to do to him. He was the kind of guy who would storm a stage at an award ceremony. And he was also the guy who wouldn't think twice about saving a child's life. Like Sean Colvin said that night at the Grammys, he left people confused. But listen to my man, Buddha Monk. I want to make sure that the world know and understand, like, he was never confused about his music. He was never confused about his life. The only thing he was confused on how much he could let his people down out there who believed in ODB. I believe in ODB. He never let me down. There's so much that his story tells us about being a black man in America. The way he lived his life, the way it ended, and everything that went down along the way. For him to get shot a second time, hell yeah. That's when he definitely felt it's the government now. I guess he felt 
He didn't want me to see him in that condition. ASON Unique was completely free. And everyone could see that, everyone knew that. He loved being different. He was a guy that if you spent the day with, you'd come away thinking like, this guy's really misunderstood. He's not what a lot of people think. The kid's spirit, with a grown man's mind, he had it all mixed into one. Drugs suck, you know? I'll leave it at that. His demise was tough to watch. He was dealt a tough hand in a lot of ways. And then he also had these miraculous gifts, too. Next time on ODB, a son unique. We're going back to where it all started. Putnam Avenue. ODB, A Sun Unique, is produced by Novel and Talkhouse for USG Audio. The series is hosted by me, Kali Kala. The series was written by Taylor Jones and Mohammed Ahmed. The producer was Taylor Jones with additional production from Mohammed Ahmed. Production support from Lee Meyer. Our researcher is Zayana Yusuf. Our executive producers are Dante Ross and Buddha Monk, Georgia Moody and Max O'Brien for Novel. Josh Block for USG Audio and Ian Wheeler for Talkhouse. Production support for USG Audio by Josh Lalongi. Production management from Cherie Houston and Charlotte Wolf. Our fact checker is Dania Suleiman. Willard Foxton is creative director of development. Sound design and mixing by Nicholas Alexander and Daniel Kempson. Location and studio recordings by Michael Gino. Original music composed by Tom Young. Special thanks to Sean Glenn. This is a USG Audio podcast. For more information or to check out our other podcasts, go to usgaudio.com. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. Novel.